So today we're finishing our series on Joseph, and we're going to see the impact of an active and loving forgiveness, a journey to forgiveness that has feet. We're going to see that Joseph did not forgive right away. It was a process. He found it hard to trust. He set up some strategy so that he could see if he could trust, and it was an arduous journey that required a choice. So we're just going to pray first to calm my nerves, really. Okay, Lord, we have so much to learn about this. I have still so much to learn about what it means to really forgive. And I pray that you open our hearts and our minds to receive the truth from your word today, the true story of an act of forgiveness in and through the life of Joseph. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So we're going to step back just a little bit. Am I buzzing? I feel like I'm buzzing. Okay, and we're going to remind ourselves what brought Joseph to this place. Uh, Now, I'll tell you, I have to read a lot of this because if I go off script, I'm going to say things that I shouldn't say. So I'm, (laughs) so that's, and I want to welcome everybody uh, out there in the online world um, and have a cup of coffee on me. One thing I know is that forgiveness is a journey and it takes time and it's different for everybody. So in Genesis 37, we learned about the dysfunction in Jacob's family. He wasn't really the most model of fathers. Jacob favored Joseph. His brothers knew that and alienated Joseph from his brothers. Joseph, Jacob gave Joseph this beautiful but really kind of dreaded coat that Joseph chose to flaunt around in front of his brothers. And I don't think he did it in a mean-spirited kind of way, but uh, it probably wasn't a good choice. And then, of course, he told them this dream and that they were all going to bow down, and they were jealous. They threw him in a pit. Then they sold him as a slave. Then he was falsely accused. He was put in prison. He found favor in that prison, and God was continually with with him that we've learned about. And now he's in in a position of power, incredible power. And the most amazing thing happened. After 13 years of not seeing his brothers, here they are face to face with Joseph. So we read in Genesis 42... 67, see, I'm not touching that thing because it's going to do something weird. (laughs) So now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. So we're going to sit here for just another second. So here's, here's, can you imagine Joseph? Can you imagine his feelings? Very mixed feelings. He's shocked to see them. He maintains his composure, but he actually is kind of harsh. He's feeling harsh because they tried to kill him. Actually, what happened was they were going to kill him, and then Reuben stopped and said, oh, no, let's put him in a shallow pit so he can die slowly. He didn't say die slowly, but really that's what would happen. But then they ended up selling him. And... You know, Joseph was sharing the dream, and he really felt that, that, that he wanted to share that because it was kind of a neat thing for him that he got this dream, that his brothers were going to bow down to him. And, of course, you, we just read that that's exactly what they did. And, but nothing justified what they did to him. Nothing justified. I think about that mixed feelings that he had. He sees them. He's probably, oh, take a breath. And now what? But they had hurt him so deeply And that memory of that hurt was still there. And as they stood in front of him, bowing, just as the dream foretold. What a journey. Now we continue reading in Genesis 42. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, oh, that's the same kind of verse, but look it, I underlined harshly because 
he was upset. He was angry. He was hurt. And he showed his hurt, right? He didn't trust them. After the treatment Joseph had suffered at their hands, he was not about to reveal his identity. So he embarked on a strategy that would test their character. He didn't trust them. He had every reason not to trust them. Even though Joseph is testing his brothers, they may not have changed. Forgiveness is not necessarily trust. In fact, there are two very separate things. And for Joseph, the time of testing was an important part of his journey. He wants to forgive. I think he wants reconciliation. But I think we need to be very careful with testing someone because even if they fail the test and never change, did you know that God still calls us to forgive them? Even though they never change. We are still called by God to forgive. So as Joseph embarked on this journey of testing and forgiveness, he had to ask himself some important questions. Were they still the same brothers that hurt him so? Had they changed at all? Were they sorry for what they had done? Could he trust them? So Joseph is conflicted. He questions them harshly. Then he accused them of being spies, and he put them all in prison for three days. Now, The Bible doesn't really say why he put them in prison. It could be because it was punitive. He wanted to punish them. Or that he just needed three days of, oh, like, what am I going to do to think? We don't know. But whatever the reason, on that third day, he overheard his brothers talking, making reference to how they had treated their brother. Of course, they don't know that it's him, right? And what did he do? He turned away from them and wept. So he's got these mixed feelings. So we read this in Genesis 42. Reuben replied, he's telling his brothers, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? Like, did he really do that? I don't know. But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep. But then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. So here we have these mixed feelings again. He's harsh and he's sad. And these are normal feelings in the steps of forgiveness. These feelings of sadness and anger and all mixed together. I love that he does not deny his troubled heart. He feels his feelings honestly. And so much has happened, so much pain and so much has gone on. And without being able to stop it, he turned and cried. And yet his feelings are mixed because he puts Simeon in jail and he binds them right, right in front of him. Now, why he put Simeon in jail is because he told his brothers, do not come back without Benjamin. And so Simeon was the insurance in jail. Do you understand? He wanted them to bring his youngest brother. They shared a mother and he wanted them to bring his youngest brother back. And so he put Simeon in jail as insurance. Says he turned away and he began to weep, but then came back and then he bound Simeon right before their eyes. So Joseph was not ready to forgive, and for certain he had not forgotten. I I find it very interesting that people say, well, you know, if you really forgive, then you you should forget. It's really not possible. We're human. It's it's not possible to forget. It's, It's possible for the memories to dull, and I'll be sharing that a little bit. But he could remember that they put him in a pit. He could remember that. And so um, it's not really a biblical principle to, to forget. And it's also downright dangerous in situations of abuse. So when there's situations of abuse, we still need to protect ourselves and our loved ones from further abuse. So it's important that we have that memory. Do you understand? 
So what happened next? Well, they passed the test. They brought Benjamin back to Egypt, and when Joseph saw Benjamin, his full, his only full brother, he removed himself from the room to and once again feel his grief. It says, and he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, and he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. After he had washed his face, he came out, controlling himself, said, serve the food. He's practical, isn't he? So further testing meant placing the silver cup in Benjamin's bag. Why Benjamin's bag? Well, he was the most vulnerable, he was the most loved, and I think he saw himself in Benjamin. Would, would they do the same thing? Would they, would they throw Benjamin under, under the bus? A few weeks ago, Pastor Brad shared the redemptive and healing words of Judah. Judah is, is one of uh, Joseph's older brothers pleading for his youngest brother. This was the same Judah who had been really nasty, did some really heinous things, and now he's transformed to one willing to sacrifice himself for the good of his family. Do you remember that awesome message that Pastor Brad spoke? Here's what Judah said to Joseph then. So now, if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, of course, it's Joseph's father too, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with this boy's life, with Benjamin's life, see that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame for you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant, that was he was talking about himself, Judah, remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, Benjamin. Let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come to my father. So why did Joseph set up his beloved Benjamin this way? He wanted to see how his brothers would react. Would they turn their back on Benjamin to protect themselves? Would they mistreat Benjamin the way they had mistreated Joseph? Were they the same brothers who threw Joseph into a pit? Pastor Brad showed us very poignantly that Judah's actions revealed that he had, in fact, changed. The moment of revelation had arrived, Joseph had his answer, and it was now time for Joseph to finally reveal who he was. Then Joseph, so this is the beginning of chapter 45, then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, and he cried out, "'Have everyone leave my presence!' So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly, the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? That Hebrew word for weep is the word baka, which means to moan and to cry out, to cry deeply, to wail. So it wasn't just whimpering. Can you imagine Joseph's feelings pouring out at this minute after 13 long years? His brothers had been on this journey too, and they're not the same, and Judah was definitely not the same. Joseph was filled with relief, I can just imagine, and hope for the future. And now, look at the power of forgiveness in these next verses. Look at the forgiveness in action. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they did so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now... Do not be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. 
For two years now, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. You shall live in the land of Goshen and be near me, you and your children and your grandchildren and your flocks and your herds and all you have. This is where the forgiveness with feet comes in. Does Judas' changed heart mean that the abuse did not happen? No. Was Joseph supposed to ignore the cruelty of his brothers? No. But God was working in Joseph's heart, resulting in this amazing demonstration of love and forgiveness with action. Joseph was unstuck from his hurt. I don't want revenge, he says. I choose to forgive you. I will care for you. We'll be together as a family once again. God arranged it all. He had a purpose. Don't be angry with yourselves any longer. God sent me to save lives. Now hurry and bring our father here. God did not justify the sins Joseph's brothers committed against him, but in his divine purpose, God used it for good. He turned the ashes into beauty. He was working in Judah's life too and redeemed him so significantly. And then Joseph got to hear that wonderful speech that Judah gave. And this resulted in even more redemptive, wonderful forgiveness. Genesis 50 says, as for you, you meant evil against me, Joseph said to his brothers. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And then we come to the best bit of the story. Then Joseph threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them after his brothers talked freely with him. One translation said afterward they could talk freely. This translation says they could talk with him. But they were able to talk together, not as enemies, but as brothers. Joseph kissed them. He wept over them. They talked. Forgiveness isn't something that we can just simply sit in the basement and say a few words. True forgiveness requires feet. It requires action. Many years ago, after 20 years of marriage and finding out that my husband had been living a double life, I thought I'd forgiven. I remember meeting with a friend from my church and I, I prayed a few times over that year that God would help me to forgive and I said the words, I forgive him. God doesn't give us an option by the many plethora of verses in the Bible about the importance of forgiving. So I just simply asked God to help me to forgive. Here's what I didn't do. I didn't keep praying that prayer. I prayed it once or twice or maybe a few times over the years. But slowly, however, bitterness took root in my life and I carried around my unforgiveness like a prize that I didn't want anyone to take away. I got stuck in my hurt, and I took offense easily. I would rehearse and recite what happened, and I knew every detail by heart. I thought of ways to punish and hurt. I smiled, but I had little joy, and I could sleep, but I had little peace. I was clearly not living a life of forgiveness, and I was in bondage to my hurt. I was stuck. New offenses were added to my list that was like a fast 
acting cancer. I couldn't read my Bible. I was sensitive to everything and everyone. I got hurt by other people easily, and I was angry a lot of the time. And none of it had anything to do with my ex-husband, and it had everything to do with me. When my daughter was, I think, around eight or nine, we were living in Steinbeck. We were driving through McDonald's, and yet again, they did not give me a straw. <laughs> and I said, oh, brother, they didn't give me a straw. My sweet daughter's here with her husband. I haven't seen her for four years. And she's here from Australia. Isn't that a miracle? So she said, Mommy, 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 please don't go around again. You're going to get mad at that lady. Mommy, please don't do it. I don't need a straw. Mommy, I can drink my drink without a straw. Don't get mad, Mommy, please. And I, right there, I'll never forget it. I pulled over and I thought, I've become a hurt, angry monster. I don't want to be that person anymore. And there I made a choice that I was going to change and Jesus was going to help me change. I didn't want to be stuck in that bondage anymore. Forgiveness can take time and it is important to feel our hurts and to talk them through with someone that you trust. The key is not getting stuck. Yes, feel your hurts. Sometimes that can take quite a long time. The key is not getting stuck so that throughout your life, you are now a constant victim of those hurts. My husband and I had separated in 1919. We were divorced in 2001. And I didn't really start my forgiveness journey until maybe 2002, 3, 4. I remember well the first time I made the choice to forgive with action. I was dropping off my daughter for a visit with her dad. And I felt strong. Oh, I have a son too. I felt strongly that I needed to wave and smile. Now, I'll tell you, I was sitting in the car, and do you remember the movie Dances with Wolves? Okay, and that woman that they had captured, she was so angry that she was captured that they, they called her the woman who, who clench, stands with her cl fists clenched. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or are you too young? <laughs> anyway, I thought of that. I feel like the woman with her fists clenched because I was clenching my fist with my left hand and waving with my right hand and clenching my teeth and smiling <laughs> because he was there at the door and I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to forgive. It would exonerate him. It would say that it was nothing that happened. But I was being obedient because God doesn't tell us to feel the love. He doesn't tell us to feel the forgiveness. He says, do it. And one person around that time said, you know, you're being a hypocrite because if you don't feel it, then it's not authentic. The thing is, we often don't feel like doing something. Do I have to change five poopy diapers in one night? I don't feel like it. But you do it. It was important that I did that action. I did not want to do it, but here's the beautiful thing about this, and I'm a walking testimony of this, is that when you forgive a little bit each day with an action, all of a sudden you find that the feelings have caught up with the obedience, and all of a sudden you're wanting to forgive, and all of a sudden you're not even thinking about it. You send that email with a happy face at the bottom of it. You send that picture and say, look at our beautiful grandson. It's amazing what can happen. I, don't, I wish I knew when that date was when I started feeling like forgiving. But my, my feelings caught up with my, my obedience. 
I now can act with kindness and love, and I made a choice to do it. Now I want to do it, and I'm no longer in bondage to that hurt. Joseph needed to forgive so he could heal. He needed to forgive with action, walking forward to hug them so they could do what? Talk freely. Matthew 5 says, You have heard that it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The Bible never says, love your friends. Did you know that? You can't find a verse in there that says, love your friends. There's no such thing. Everybody knows you can love your friend. Loving those who have hurt you is a whole different thing. And it does nothing in your noggin. Nothing. An unforgiving heart dictates our thoughts and actions. This person hurt me and doesn't deserve my love or my forgiveness. I'm not going to the same service as that person. I'm for sure not going to honor them and go to their store and give them any kind of business. I'm not going to, I forgive, but I'm not going to the family gathering. Maybe for some of us, forgiveness is exactly going to the family gathering. But when we lay down our egos and lay down what we think we deserve and lay down our right to stay hurt, do we have a right to stay hurt? Absolutely, we can stay hurt. But we lay down that right, we open our hearts to love as Jesus did when he laid down his life on that cross. We can pray for those who curse us. We can feed those that hurt us. We can bless those that persecute us. This is love in action, and this is forgiveness with feet. When, now this is not my quote. As my dad would say, I, I stole it from another thief. But I don't know who quoted this. <laughs> when we understand how much we've been forgiven, we can forgive much. And this is what will transform our hearts and take us out of our bondage of unforgiveness. All of us have at some point been hurt by others and will continue to be hurt by others. Perhaps a family member hurt you. A colleague mistreated you. You served at the church and no one thanked you and you just felt like you were doing, doing it for, for no reason anymore. A customer of yours who goes to your church did not pay his bill. Some hurts go deeper. Your parents never showed love to you. They actually hurt you. Perhaps they have abused you. Your spouse walked out on his family or her family. Your family won't allow you to have a gathering, to come to their gathering because you weren't vaccinated or because you were vaccinated. And some families have actually split up and don't have a relationship now because of all of that. These wounds can leave you with feelings of anger, bitterness, and even vengeance. And you are allowed to feel all those feelings. I want to tell you two foundational truths I've learned. You are allowed to feel your feelings. It's actually unhealthy to deny them. If you ignore your feelings, this is not forgiveness and it's not healthy. Feeling our feelings allows us to work through the healing just as Joseph did. Remember how many times he wept? He spoke harshly. He put people in jail. He wept. The key is to move forward in your healing and not getting stuck in your hurt. That is why walking in forgiveness is so vital and why we don't move forward towards healing through, through forgiveness. We, when we don't walk forward through forgiveness, we are the ones who pay most dearly. The, sad, the thing is, people who have hurt us, sometimes they don't even know that they've hurt us. Sometimes they don't even know when they're happily living out their lives and, and really, I, I just was so stuck in my hurt. When I, when I was stuck in that forgiveness, most things were all about me, and I found it really hard to have empathy and understanding for others. 
I was consumed with what people were doing or weren't doing to me. By learning from Joseph's example and embracing forgiveness, we will eventually experience more peace, more hope, not every day, more joy, but we'll be free from that cage of offense that imprisons us. A walking everyday forgiveness will lead us to feelings of understanding and empathy. That's what happened to me. I could now all of a sudden, as I forgave, see people that were hurting and, and I, I could get the, the, the focus off myself. This does not mean that reconciliation is always possible, as it was with Joseph and his family. Forgiveness has feet, but it does not mean that you go back into an abusive situation. I've walked in forgiveness towards my children's father for many years, but it did not mean that I went back into an abusive marriage. The second foundational truth is that forgiveness and trust are two separate things. You can forgive someone fully, fully, who you can't trust. For example, if you're in a relationship with someone who is extremely angry, lashes out in anger, perhaps even hits you, hits the children, threatening to hit you, that person is not getting any help. Hopefully he would be getting, or she would be getting some professional help. Not spending time with Jesus, you see no growth there, and you're afraid and exhibits other behaviors that create fear in you. It is important that you work towards forgiving that person, but you need to set up healthy boundaries. Sometimes that means separating for a while. Sometimes that means not being together. But do you understand? There's all different situations. It doesn't mean that you don't forgive down the road, but you need to set up healthy boundaries. Remember, you can never change anybody. You can never change anybody else. And you may not be able to forgive that person. So you may not be able to trust that person, but it is important that you work towards forgiving that person. I know of a married man. Uh, he was, had a wife and a son. When he was a young boy, that married man, that man when he was a young boy, was sexually abused by his father. And as he grew older, he was processing that. He really never processed it earlier, and he was processing that, and he was working with an elder from his church. And he asked the elder some advice. And the elder said, well, if you really want to forgive your dad, you need to trust him. So he allowed his son to go to that home of that son's grandparents. And that son was abused by that grandfather. Sadly, that boy had to now walk through that horrible road. It doesn't mean that all people can't change. Judah changed. But we can't change anyone, and it can be extremely dangerous to, to equate forgiveness with trust. Our responsibility is to forgive, but trusting is a very different story. In the end, though, Joseph was able to trust Judah and his brothers, but that is not always the wise choice, especially in the area of abuse. I just have four little steps to forgiving with feet, and you can take screenshots or, or not, or write them down. So the first one is stop keeping count. God has shown me over the years that it is important to not make a grocery list of every wrong that was done to me. I knew everything by heart. I could tell everybody, this happened this many years ago. That happened 10 years ago, and this happened. I knew it all by heart. Doing that only helped me not forgive because it kept the memory alive and well in my mind. I knew it all by heart because I could recite it all the time. So I just, it just kept the hurt alive. If we do this, the seed of bitterness will take root in our hearts. 
in all of our rememberings, and that small seed will grow and grow into a long vine that encircles us and hurts us and strangles us emotionally, relationally, mentally, and spiritually, and even physically. It is easy to take a hurtful word that someone says or didn't say and allow that hurt to fester and grow, and soon that hurt gets added to other hurts that we don't deal with, and all of a sudden we have a huge honking web of hurts and many broken relationships along the way, because I will tell you, when you're hurt by somebody and then you don't deal with it, and then someone else hurts you, all of a sudden you find yourself with broken relationships. And sometimes when we, can, when we don't look at why is this, maybe it's I'm not forgiving these people, we just think it's everyone's fault out there and we become a chronic blamer, and it's very sad. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, and of course, it's a brilliant chapter, and it says it like this. Love is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. The second thing is to bless them, pray for them, and love them. Romans 12, 14 says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Notice these are all action words. Praying a blessing can be hard, though, because maybe God's going to bless that person. I know of a person who was really a victim almost her whole life. And when her husband changed and came to Jesus, he was a different person. She found it very hard because she wasn't a victim anymore. She said to me once, well, now he's the good guy. Healing will come as we pray for that person and pray that God will bless them and pray that God will grow them and to walk, walk closer with Jesus. So let's choose instead to want good things for that person. Be glad when they're doing well. Be thankful when they're walking with God. And above all, pray for that person. I will tell you, it's almost impossible to hate someone or even dislike someone that you pray for every day. It's almost impossible. I don't think I can do it. Another action is to show them love. And we've mentioned some of those things. God loves to give you ideas on how to show forgiveness. And, and it's very different in different situations. Luke 6 says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those that curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Again, lots of actions. For you, it could be something as simple as smiling at a person or um, instead of trying to avoid them. Or when you see them at Sobeys, all of a sudden you make a mad dash down the other aisle. I know I've done it. Write a note, send a gift, bake somebody cookies. If your neighbor's cantankerous and you've just had it, it's wonderful to go over there with cookies and say, I just wanted to give these to you. Put a happy face at the end of an email, wave hello. Don't talk negatively about them. In some serious situations of abuse, you may not be able to see that person or have a relationship with that person, but that doesn't mean you can't forgive them. It could be something like praying for them or um, praying for their family. If they've passed away, it may be connecting with their family. I don't know. There's lots of different scenarios. Remember that we're not responsible for the choices people make and the hurt that they inflict on us, but we're always responsible for our reactions and responses. Number three, the offender may never change. If you think that you should wait for an apology or for a change in behavior before you forgive, you may be waiting forever. Think of forgiveness more about how it's going to change your life, not theirs. They're responsible for their actions and you're for, you are for, the, for yours. 
God does not instruct us to forgive if the person changes or if the person says sorry. It's something that God requires us to do over and over, 70 times 7. Number four, don't wait for the feelings. Forgive every day. We are so used to feeling something and then acting. The thing is, God doesn't tell us to feel loving or feel forgiving. He just tells us to do it. And here's the wonderful thing, as I mentioned, your feelings as you do it each day, I promise. And again, it's not like every day, but as you do it, the more you do it, your feelings will catch up with the obedience. Um, The memories will come, I will tell you. They remind us of all the wrongs that that have been done to us. I, I, okay, I'll tell you, a friend lives in a certain area in Winnipeg, and I recall, I think I was still married but separated, and we were in the car together, and my husband told me something that was quite horrible at a different, on a certain road, okay, that would happen to be close to my friend's house. And for years, I remembered what he told me as I, as I drove on that road. And I was on that road almost every week. And I could remember what, what he said. I just couldn't get it out of my mind. And sometimes I would remember it as I was driving and I'd have to pull over and I'd be weeping. That memory just kept on plaguing me and I associated it with that street. And then I said, Jesus, you've got to remove that memory from me. I can't handle it. And again, I don't remember when it happened, but all of a sudden I was driving there and I thought, well, what did he say? I, I can't remember. I knew there was something, but I could not remember. I, till this day, cannot remember what he said. And did you know that I drive there still almost every week, and I, don't, I drive there and I don't even think about it anymore? Because I didn't go over it and over it in my mind. I asked God to remove it from me, and he did. We need his help. We cannot do this on our own, that is for sure. One day, you're going to realize that you are not only doing the forgiving, you're feeling it too. And those memories will come, but we, we will need to take those memories when they come And I think about it, I think about that there's a stinky fish in my backpack and those are the bad memories and I take that out and I throw it at the cross. And Jesus' wonderful big broad arms and shoulders can take that memory off me and from me. We will get those memories of hurts but the key is not to linger on them because we will get stuck as we do that. Luke 17.4 says, if that person wrongs you seven times seven and each time turns again and asks forgiveness or doesn't, you must forgive. The two things God has called us to do, you know what they are? To love God and love others. We don't get a pass because someone hurt us or because a tragedy happened. We don't get a pass on loving people because horrible things have happened to us. Forgiveness is something I have to do every day and throughout these years... I have messed up a lot, especially the last year and a half has been really, really, really hard. And I said, Jesus, help me to forgive. And you know what the amazing thing about that? When we ask Jesus to help us to forgive, he will give us lots of opportunities because I see people I need to forgive almost in every restaurant when I pray that. (laughs) And I have gone, I've gone in, seen the person and turned around and walked right up. I can't do it. But here's the thing. We pray that, God gives us an opportunity, what's our part? I can go in there, smile, hi, and then sit down with my friend. That's, that's so healing, you guys. It's like that horrible weight of forgiveness, of unforgiveness comes off my, my uh, body. I have slipped so badly. Thousands of years ago, David penned this prayer to God. We get very good at pointing out the faults of other people, Right? Oh, that guy should be hearing this message, man. 
he penned these beautiful verses at the end of Psalm 139. I call them the me verses. I was wondering if you could read them out loud with me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Those verses aren't about anybody. My forgiveness changed me. It changed me. It changed my life. Joseph was on a journey of forgiveness, and that is what he chose to do. He forgave with his heart, and he forgave with his feet. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we will all choose to be Joseph's and choose to be you to others, to act like you, to love like you, and to forgive like you. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today and being part of what God is doing here at Crossview. A special thanks to those that are giving generously to this ministry. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you enjoyed the sermon, why don't you subscribe to the platform you're listening to right now and let us know that you're listening by sharing and tagging us on social media. If you want to learn more about this ministry in our church, you can visit us at crossviewchurch.ca.